I think he lost. I think he. I of think course, he, you're going to disagree. No, 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 no. I think the Savon fight. I think the Savon fight. You'll give me that long black no. stuff. Does he slide up in you something? Oh, in, in his time, you know, it's, it's suicide. It's the same with Tony. Suicide. And I was never. I was never focused that it's way. Very, it's for me. For me, it was. It was never about being the best. I was happy being one of the best. I got a lot. I got robbed of a gold medal in the Olympics, which really basically me off. So I had something to prove. When you got something to prove, it makes it you a different fighter. Adrian no longer speaks English. He speaks Burmese, so I'm his interpreter. <laughs> Jean Pascal. Jean Pascal, Jean Pascal, wow. It, it's almost as if no one listens to me when I speak. Now we, we did the episode on doping and please feel free to, to go back into the archives and listen to it. I, I don't think the stuff we said in the dates, it, it doesn't age, it doesn't get old. It's stuff that if you really want to understand how this game works, it's a perfect intro into it. And then after that, you can do your own research and understand how these things work. But let's spin it back to Jean Pascal. 38 years old, going on 39 this year. So I think he's probably, what, 38 and a half? And I know there are guys listening to this who are that age. And if you said to these guys, do you want to get fit to do something? I don't care what it is, right? To do something at the top level. It might be wanting to play rugby at a premiership level. It might be wanting to run a marathon at an elite level. It might even be trying to box at an elite level. They'll tell you the same thing. The body can't go to the places it needs to go. You ask Wadi Camacho, how old's Wadi now? Wadi's what, 36, 37? No idea actually. But he's, Wadi Camacho is that sort of age group and he'll tell you too. It gets harder. You can't keep the levels you had before. You can't, and that's the whole point of the sport, right? You come into the sport, you grow into your peak, gaining experience, gaining skills and so forth. So in your peak years, you should be optimized for success. Then there has to be a decline. Right? That's just the way of nature. Everything rises and everything falls. Jean Pascal seemed to be the one guy who refused to do that in his rematch with Badu Jack. Almost to the point where now you look back on that fight and you go, was he clean then? No idea one way or the other. But here's what scares me. Is what he got found with. He had. And I'm just. I'm just going to use the. The street names for them. Because that's how I work. He had Trembolone in his system. He had Masteron in his system. And he had the metabolites of Masteron in his system. Like with all of these things, it's not really about what he got caught with. It's what he didn't get caught with. That should worry you. So you wouldn't take Trembolone without a testosterone base for the simple reason that it causes almost instantaneous shutdown, right? So if Jean Pascal was just taking Trembolone on his own, on its own, sorry, his body would produce no testosterone at all. He wouldn't be able to train. So there's a, there's a testosterone base there, whatever the dosage is. Maybe it's two, three hundred. In fact, I shouldn't even be giving out recipes, sorry. So he's got that. 
right? So they, they, he's got an anabolic agent already in the testosterone, which serves as his base. On top of that, he's taking Trembolone. And I think the best way to describe Trembolone is most cases of roid rage, whatever that is, would seem to coincide with taking Trembolone. It's one of the anabolic agents that improves aggression, makes you overconfident, makes you overaggressive and quicker to anger, right? So in camp, you can get why someone would do that. You know, it's pretty brutal at 38 trying to put yourself through these rigors. And then the third substance, Masteron, you're almost looking at that going, okay, why would you take that? And the reason you would take that is it has an estrogen inhibiting effect. So the testosterone will cause a large amount of aromatization, which is good for building muscle, but Jean-Pascal doesn't need to build muscle. It's a weight-governed sport. So he needs something that's going to suppress that aromatizing effect. So when I, when I put all of this together and I go, we're not even talking about the growth hormone that's probably involved in this. Um, maybe various peptides to boost that as well, depending on his budget. We're not even talking about the other things that are probably in him that the test didn't catch. But we are looking at this saying, this is a pretty well-structured program. So this has come from somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. This isn't someone who just co concocted this in the backyard. So as the story develops, it turns out that Jean-Pascal has worked with Memo Heredia and there were suspicions that he was working with Angel Memo Heredia, who we've talked about numerous times already. And I know journalists have tried to get to Heredia to find out if he was involved with Jean-Pascal. And he's become aggressive and defensive, which is understandable because he's trying to rebuild a reputation that he kind of destroyed with his own hands. But here's, here's the kicker. I always go back, and it's got to be five or six years ago. Angel Heredia was having a row over Twitter with Peter Quillen. Right? Now, I'm recalling this not to the best of my ability, but in summary... Angel Heredia shared a text message exchange between him and Peter Quillen, allegedly Peter Quillen, where there was a request for a cycle for a training camp, for an eight-week training camp. You know, and he was like, look, can you, can you give me something? So what that told me was Heredia doesn't have to be there in camp per se. He can do this stuff remotely. And if this is how he's operating in boxing, and remember there were questions around him when it came to Juan Manuel Marquez. I'm not saying one way or the other. But there were questions. Another guy who looked too old to be performing that well. But we come back to Jean-Pascal. 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 If ever boxing was going to show it's serious about doping violations, every governing body would ban Jean-Pascal for life now. Number one, it would send the right message out to everyone else contemplating cheating. Number two, the sport doesn't need Jean-Pascal anymore. At 38, there's not much in him. You know, he could be the perfect sacrificial lamb, but you will learn pretty quickly that boxing has no interest in eradicating doping. Because if it did, it could have done that a long time ago. A sport this serious should have life bans for things like that. But it goes to show that if Jean-Pascal, Jean-Pascal, Jean-Pascal is doping, right? And we've, the process has got to go through. 
and we'll see what happens. If he is doping, who else is doping? Because that's a signal. You cannot do this in your late 30s without some kind of assistance. So now you start to go back and look at all the other fighters in their late 30s who are still operating at the top level and start saying, well, what's their testing regimen? Hmm? Hmm? You see what I mean? So I think Jean-Pascal, 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 will suddenly realize that boxing is very forgiving and I wouldn't be surprised if he fought again and we were all told to forget that this ever happened. As for doping and boxing, as you guys know, we'll find out that they don't care and the saga will continue and someone else will fail because boxer has no interest in getting his house in order, not while it costs money to do so. So one, so one 38-year-old is bringing the sport down. Another 38-year-old is seemingly elevating the sport. So Nanita Donaire pulls out a surprise performance, um, seemed to roll back to the old Nonita Donaire, you know, and he produces uh, a stoppage win. It was a fourth round stoppage. Now, I will say I pretty much enjoyed the, the casting show. Um, the boxing romantic gave me lots of story around Nonita Donaire. The, the boxing logician within me says, you've become the oldest bantamweight champion in history at 38 years old. I think you're beating the previous record by three years. And that was like in an era of far less prevalence of sports sciences, we'll call it. And here's the sad thing about it. You get all of these guys jumping on the bandwagon and whooping and hollering and going, wow, Nanita Denaire, what a great performance. I think Frampton was on his nuts. Tim Bradley was on his nuts too. There have been a fair few people, um, Regis Prograde, they've all been on, on Denaire's nuts, right? And these are the same people who claim to be advocates against doping and not one person saying, how are you doing this at 38? And this isn't like a Mayweather 38 where you saw continued improvement and you saw him maintain a high level. This is a guy who got schooled by, by rigging down the weight class above. It's a guy who got monstered by Inoue. Now we're talking about a rematch with Inoue. It's almost as if someone has said, listen, mate, here, take this elixir of youth and we can roll you back to your mid-twenties and you can have the career you wish you had had. Now you're going to have a no-regrets career now. And boxing's just watching this happen and no one's saying, well... Where was the VADA tweet saying, congratulations, Anita Denaire, for enrolling in the program and coming up clean? Where's the VADA tweet? Definitely no USADA tweet. And so that seems to have been what happened with boxing. If you roll back two or three years where guys like Eddie Hearn were banging the drum saying, listen, everyone's going to get tested. You're not fighting Joshua unless you're getting tested. That rhetoric's gone. We don't talk about that anymore. You know? Hearn's learned from guys like Al, and he's just said, you know what, why talk about it? It's not my business. If you get caught, you get caught. That's on you. The show will go on with or without you. Decide what you want to do. But if you were to ask me, is Nanita Denae clean? I'd say, no, he's not. And I'd say that to his face. And Frampton would be there defending him, and I'd tell Frampton he's a fool, and he doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Look at Carl Frampton. Carl Frampton is how many years younger than Denae? And he fell off a cliff. 
after Leo Santa Cruz, he fell off a cliff because he probably tried to do it the right way. I'm sure Frampton did it the right way. I'm sure Frampton just relied on what God gave him, right? And his career was done by 32. After that Warrington fight, he was done because that's how boxing careers used to go. As a small guy, once you got past 30, 31, it was curtains for you. And then people saw Manny Pacquiao, and they saw Floyd, and they saw Gambo, and they saw one of these guys, and they said, I want what they're having. And whether they want to admit it publicly or not, cool, it's up to them. But I imagine if you were to look at these boxes, you'd see sight injection marks everywhere. I said the same thing about Steve Cunningham, if you remember. How was a guy 42 years old in better shape than he was when he was 32? Yet no one in boxing saying, well, Steve, explain this to us. As Steve's only defense is I haven't failed a drugs test. So, well, you haven't been registered for any form of testing. So why would you fail a drugs test when no one's coming to test you? As I keep saying as boxing fans, you have a choice. You can wash your hands of it and say, actually, I don't care how clean or how dirty they are. Fight. Or you can have a principled approach that says, this is what's causing the orbital bone injuries. This is what's causing people to sustain life-changing injuries. It's as simple as that. So it's up to you guys to decide how you want to do it. So on Saturday, well, not even Saturday, I had to catch up on it, but I got, I got a chance to watch the, the Lenares-Haney fight. And, oh God. So there's a lot to like about Devin Haney. I think as a young kid, he took a lot of risks and he was one of those initial social media phenomenons in boxing, right? He was kind of Ryan Garcia before Ryan Garcia. You know, he gambled his career, went down to the Mayweather gym, built those connections. And I think what happened was the Mayweathers realized that there was a ceiling to Devin Haney, that he wasn't going to be like a Javante Davis. And if you say to me, what's the difference between the two, it's this. I can see Javante Davis getting a knockout in any fight that he's in. I don't necessarily say the same thing about Devin Haney. And it's, it's one of those strange things, isn't it? Like, the only time you shouldn't be knocking people out is kind of when you're at world level. But even then, you've got to be hurting people. And I don't think Haney's got that in him. And I can't explain why. Maybe sometimes you just don't have that. Maybe you're in a weight class too high. Maybe at 130 pounds, you'd be knocking people out. And maybe at 126, you'd be knocking people out. But they're all ifs, buts, and maybe. So he fights Linares. And in summary, it was a hug fest. Like, my frustration in these situations is that referees do not know how to regulate that. Start taking points off boxers, and they'll stop doing it. It's as simple as that. And once referees get stronger about doing that, because there are certain things that you can't control. So if guys are throwing punches and they get tangled up, that's one thing. The ref's got to untangle them. But if you're going jab, jab, hold, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. You know when you hear commentators saying, oh, he needs to hold on now for dear life. No, 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 you're not allowed to hold on is the whole point. So Haney does what he normally does. Looks really good with the jab. Looks really sharp with his counter punches. Well, even counter punches, his combination punches. He looks really sharp. Until you zero in on the detail and you go, well, Linares seems pretty comfortable in there. 
a lot of those shots were hitting forearms, elbows and gloves. Go back and watch it. So now you're looking at it going, well, Lenara seems to have Haney pretty well figured out here. I don't see there being a knockout. But Lenara's was counterpunching, so he wasn't getting the work rate required. And maybe had he upped his work rate, it would have left him open to some of Haney's shots. I don't know. But here's what I've always said about Lenara's. Lenara's is fragile. Lenara's is a guy that if Javante Davis fought Lenara's, he'd probably finish Lenara's career. Lenara's will always struggle against heavy-handed people with speed. Always. You know, people hold too much stock in what he did with Lomachenko. No, no disrespect to Loma. Loma's a non-puncher. He's a hell of a boxer, but he's not a puncher. Number one. Number two, Lomachenko's essentially a featherweight. Some people say Javante Davis is a feather slash super feather, yeah. But against that caliber of opponent, Linares normally gets hurt, gets rocked, gets dropped, gets cut. Haney couldn't do any of those things to him. At a weight class, Linares is probably too small for. It's a red flag. You know, you wouldn't put him in with any of the bigger lightweights, though, would you? If Broner could make 135, he smokes Haney. If Robert Easter Jr. could make 135, he smokes Haney. Ah, look. You could dig Ricky Burns out. And I think Haney would struggle with Ricky Burns right now. I'm being honest. He looks like a guy who, at the level he's at, where he's been basically emailed a, a world title, he'll be okay as long as he gets to pick his opponents. And I wouldn't be surprised if you saw him fight a Tevin Farmer next. Or they dig up some other small guy that they bring up, like they did with Gamboa. And then keep trying to enhance his reputation while they call for the big fights. But guys like Ryan Garcia aren't stupid. Right? They, they know. They know that Devin Haney needs them more than they need him. So is Hearn willing to put that money up? So I wasn't overly excited by that, but I was happy for Chantal Cameron. You know? So Chantal Cameron and Ramla Ali got their high-profile debuts in America, and I'm happy for both of them. You know, Chantal Cameron fought someone who was old and inactive, but she did what she had to do, got the fight stopped. And, you know, how long are you going to keep her treading water before you say, right, you've got to fight one of these people, Jonas, um, Jonas Terry Harper... Katie Taylor, we don't care which one it is. Like, put her in a big fight because she deserves it. That's as simple as I can put it. I think Chantal Cameron deserves it. I'm still intrigued to see where Ramla Ali goes. I think you've got to start putting Ramla in with some of the British ladies that we recognize. And let's just see how she, she measures up, I think. You know, she's got that elegant style, which I quite like to see. But, you know, as a pro, will she be able to deliver the power? I hope so. You know, her story's fantastic. And actually, Ramla's a really, really lovely young lady. You know, good young lady, good family. One of those people you want to see do well in boxing. So onwards and upwards for her, I hope. But here's the, here's the Haney problem. And it's much like the Joshua problem. You know, Eddie Hearn will tell fans, he'll tell British fans, and he'll browbeat you with these tweets and these interviews, and they'll tell you Devin Haney's the best 135-pounder on the planet, Right? But let's be honest, you just beat Linares, and Linares is essentially a featherweight. And not only that, but even at featherweight, he was getting slapped about. And I don't mean to say that disrespectfully, but it's true. He was getting hurt, cut, battered, and stopped. You know, Hearn resuscitated Linares' career, essentially. It was just Eddie Hearn and those multiple paydays he offered. 
Now you start to look at the rivals, like Javante Davis's record is miles better than Haney's. Teofimo Lopez has the win over Lomachenko, and that's not a Lomachenko on the slide, by the way. That's the Lomachenko that we were like, why is he taking this fight? And Ryan Garcia is going to win over Luke Campbell, which outranks anything that Haney's got. Does that mean, you know, we haven't really seen Luke Campbell, you know, get ruined the way Linares has? Man, that's an Olympic gold medalist as well. Southport, degree of awkwardness attached to that. So you look at Haney and you're like, of the four people they talk about being the new generation, take side boxing fans, Haney's a long way back. And he's a long way back, number one, because no one will do deals with her, and it would seem. And number two, now that he's got a belt, you can't even push him to be mandatory anywhere. So what do you do? Hearn will keep making noise, saying everyone's ducking him. But to be honest, I can see the other three fighting each other and just leaving Haney to rot. That's what I can see happening. You can't force the fights now that Haney's got a belt. And quite frankly, who really cares about the belt that Haney's got? Because Teofimo beat Loma when Loma was a man. So I don't know what you do with Devin Haney. And I tweeted this where I said, Haney will never be the person... Eddie Hearn's telling us he will be. He just won't be. And we have to make our peace with that and move on. And be excited by the guys who have really taken risks in their career and have delivered. Because, as far as I'm concerned, Haney hasn't. And that's why he got slaughtered by his peers for that performance. Because that wasn't the performance that was meant to come out. Linares was meant to get stopped. I feel Tank Davis would have stopped him. I feel Ryan Garcia would have dropped him at least. And I feel Teofimo Lopez would have stopped him. And as Porky says, you know, boxer size Ben strikes again. Right? Has Ben Davison helped someone get a stoppage? Has he done that yet? And here's the problem you have when an analyst becomes a trainer. When you're an analyst... You focus so much on what the other person does, although in this instance, they cl clearly hadn't scouted Linares' counter-left hook because that was just landing at will. So, hmm. what's the point in having a, a training team of analyst Ben Davidson, analyst Lee Wiley, and the other assortment of reprobates that they seem to have? What's the point of that if you can't spot the most obvious things? And look, I'm not going to begrudge Ben Davidson his opportunity because... I mean, rule number one of the grift is you've got to spot it and exploit it. And he has. I get frustrated when people in the sport are starting to talk about Ben Davidson being one of the best trainers in the world. Based on what I saw Devin Haney do, anyone could have done that. I genuinely think you could have given Devin Haney to, to Donald Smith and got a better performance. Why? Here's why. There are two kinds of trainers, right? There are analysts ala Ben Davidson, who look at your, the opponent and go, look, here's how we're going to nullify the opponent. But think, think about what that tells your fighter. That tells your fighter that you're in with someone who's at your level, if not better. Then you get guys like Big Don who are like, I don't really care who you're in the ring with. They're not going to be able to cope with what we're putting into you. They're the trainers you want. You want a trainer who's going to make you the weapon of mass destruction. Whereas Ben Davison seems to turn his fighters into shields. Like, okay, I can stop myself being hurt by this shot, that shot. He can't do that trick to me. It's like, okay, great, well done. What are you going to do? Fury saw through that. Um, I feel Billy Joe would have seen through that too. And eventually Devin Haney will see through it because he'll realize that the performances aren't where they need to be.
But as I keep saying, Ben Davison needs a fighter he takes from nothing and builds with his philosophy so we can assess him. Until then, he's literally just an analyst who got given a coaching badge. And I don't say that to be disparaging. I'm saying it's, it is what it is. I just want to focus quickly on the domestic scene and just ask, what, why, is, why is Bradley Skeet boxing again? I, I don't... God, God, God. So Bradley Skeet wasn't a puncher, wasn't a killer, wasn't a monster at 147. He was, he was a good boxer, solid. Kept that Earlsfield style his whole career. And I love Eddie Lamb, but I say to Eddie Lamb, like, you know, how, how did he end up like that? But now he's going up to Dom Ingle, and they're going to turn him into, what, a middleweight? And he's going to do good things as a middleweight? Oh, God. Just... I don't, no, I'm not even going to watch it. That's it. I'm, uh, that, that I'm not going to watch. You know, I was happy for Cash Ali for the record. The fact that now, you know, Cash is starting to get career momentum and the stoppage. I mean, like Cash is putting uppercuts together now. You can see the Richard Towers influence now. Like that's what I enjoyed about the Cash Ali fight was the fact that you saw the Richard Towers influence where he was hitting... He was hitting another heavyweight with punches heavyweights don't normally throw and definitely don't throw in that way. And that's what, I, I mean, Richards really brought a degree of unpredictability to what Cash Ali does. Now, am I saying that Cash Ali beats the best in the world? I don't know. What I do know is he's in that discussion now around the Nick Webbs, the Dave Allens and so forth. And I think Cash Ali's a live dog in all of those fights. Maybe you need to put him in line for a British at some point. I don't know. Well, I do know, actually. I'd like to see Cash in a couple of fights time get a shot at the British or the Commonwealth. Let him start winning titles. And let's see how far he can go. Jeez, I haven't even talked about Martin J. Ward and how, <laughs> how Eddie felt fed him to the wolves, man. Poor Martin J. Ward. Have no idea what happened to him in that fight. Um, suppose Umar Sadiq is telling me that his leg was screwed. Don't know. Saw the knockout and... I was just like, I don't think pros should be getting knocked out like that. And he said, well, the guy hurt his leg. And I said, well, he didn't hurt his hands. And his, look where his hands were when he got knocked out. You know? For too long, we keep talking about these guys being world-class and elite level, and they deserve a world title shot, but they can't even keep their hands up. So I have no sympathy. He was getting hurt and peppered with punches that you're like, ah. if you were elite, I don't know if, if this would be the reaction. But fair play to the South African lad for making making a statement. Now, I'm sure Eddie's going to run with that story till he loses. Then Eddie will pal up with the winner. Like, Hearn's relentless drive for the next big thing is impressive in how shameless it is. But if I'm a fighter on the other side, I'm like, geez, God help me. Because I wouldn't want to be that. Like, this is why people stay with Al. Because if you lose with Al, Al will look after you and he'll tell you exactly how he's going to bring you back. Hearn just stops taking your calls. Just stop taking your calls because he doesn't need you. Bob will bring you back. Oscar will bring you back. Eddie will just go, why don't you go and talk to Frank? So for all of you guys looking to sign with Matchroom, just know when you lose Anthony Sims Jr., Otho Jones III, and Kosi Solomon, 
how oh, man, how long is this list? Or even if you fail to impress, uh, you lose Sunov as an example. Emma Williams, another example. Hearn just discards you. Like he's got that real Middle England thing about him of if I can't use you for anything, I don't even want to speak to you. So you sign with them at your own peril. But on the subject of Hearn, let's let's just talk about this Joshua Usyk thing. It's all turning into a bit of a farce now, isn't it, if we're being honest? So I'm trying to work this out, so bear with me while I make this make sense. Deontay Wilde and Tyson Fury have a fight set up for July 24th. That was easy to make because the, most of the details were included in the contract. So all the arbitration did is give life to that contract, right? So Bob just had to find a venue find a TV slot, and then do the logistics around making the fight happen. Fair enough. Quick. Everyone knew that Alexander Ustik was coming to fight Joshua at some point. We've known this since he won the World Boxing Super Series and Joshua won the WBO. We knew this was a collision course. So can someone explain to me what you still need to negotiate? It's a mandatory shot, so it's an 80-20 split. Right? Not hard. You're going to do it in the UK because, quite frankly, that fight doesn't sell anywhere else. Well, maybe Kiev, actually. And maybe they want to bid for this. And if that's the case, maybe we'll find out what Joshua actually earns. But Eddie's always smart enough to, to pay what, what's going just so people don't figure out what Joshua's getting paid. They made that mistake with the organizing the super fight. Now people know what that's worth. They're going to try and undercut it. But if we just come back to Joshua Usyk, Josh is in camp with Wadi. Like I've said before, I'm sure he's going to get some of the the more decorated heavyweights who are actually real southpaws, like Dempsey McKean, for example. I'm sure these guys will come into camp at some point. Guys like Ortiz will not be in camp. Um, Hernandez might be in camp, I don't know. Uh, they may get Jalalov in there. He's, he's youngish and hungry. But Josh just seems to be preparing for Usyk. So it's just about sorting out the economics. And, you know, if you're Joshua, fucking hell, what a, what a nightmare run. You know, what a nightmare run. Like, where's your motivation? Like, you've got to fight Pulev, then you've got to fight Usyk, and you can't even get into a back and forth with these guys because their English isn't that good. So you're just kind of there, like, another guy I've got to fight, and then what's going to happen after that fight? We're going to hear about the unification. And at that point, guys, everyone should just turn their TVs off. And I keep saying this, like, to all the people who send me messages saying, have you heard the latest Eddie Hearn interview? The answer every time is no. Stop asking me that question because I stopped listening. If you're still listening to Eddie Hearn interviews, you're a fool. You're a fool and you're misinformed because he keeps lying to you. Yeah? He keeps lying to you. And you've got to really ask yourself, as a man, woman, child, whatever you are, how bad is my life that this is what I get enjoyment from? A long time ago, people should have turned Eddie Hearn off. But you all chose to believe that he could make things happen. And I kept telling you, he can't make anything happen. Yeah. You kept looking at these little victories he'd have, like getting Luke Campbell a Lomachenko shot, and go, oh, look what he's done. You are the suckers. You guys asking me about Hearn interviews, you guys are the problem in boxing. Until you distance yourself from what Eddie says, until you separate yourself from all of this propaganda, until you stop listening to IFL, 
until you stop listening to Boxing Social, until you stop listening to Behind the Gloves, can't help you. You're going to be permanently angry and disappointed. And here's why it concerns me. You're going to carry that into your life. You're going to carry that into your friendships. You're going to carry that into the pub. Don't. Just turn that stuff off. Listen to guys like Porky. Listen to guys like young Harley Marshall, young Tom Hadwin. You know, they're the young guys on the up now. You know, they're the, the young lions looking to get rid of guys like me. And they're on their way. You know, they've got to sharpen up how they talk. But that comes with experience, man. They're on the right track. Just, you know, you know, I've done enough of these things to know that there's a certain pace and cadence you have to speak at. And then, you know, they'll, they'll master it, man. So I'm excited by what, what they'll start to bring in the future. But listen, you just got to listen to people who don't have anything to sell you. Because I'm bored of the boxing circus now. I am genuinely bored of it. At every level. And so this is when you know that the sport's due for a bit of a recession. <sighs> Do I even want to see Joshua Fury? Not really. I'm more excited by Joshua Wilder. And I want Wilder to win. I think the heavyweight division was more exciting when Wilder had the belt. I felt the fight could happen more when Wilder had the belt. So everyone should be cheering for Wilder to have that belt back because that's when I can see it happening. Remember, they made the 50 million offer. But the choice is yours, guys. You decide who you want to believe in. You decide who you want to follow. And the numbers will reflect that. One thing I did want to say in closing is I hope everyone had a great bank holiday. Hope you all enjoyed the sun. Hope you had a chance to take a nice walk and just take in this great country of ours on its way back. Like, I really enjoy seeing people out and about, kids playing, you know, people just out in the park having a few drinks, people socializing again, reconnecting. You know, it's been a rough few months. It's been a rough year and a bit for us. So hopefully all of you guys had a chance to pop out, enjoy that sunshine, see some friends and be happy. Because remember, tomorrow's not promised to us. So hopefully this is the start of a good summer for everyone. So, you know, you know cheers. And you know, have a good time till the next time. Take care.